This episode of the Book Riot Podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. With over 150,000 titles to choose from in all genres, Audible.com is the leading supplier of audiobooks. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot for a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial. Thanks to Audible for sponsoring the Book Riot Podcast. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 90, and we're recording on Thursday, January 22nd. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Well, Amanda, bookriot.com, Amanda, welcome back to the show. Hello. Thank it's you. It's been a month or so, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. Happy New Year to you. Indeed. What is the statute of limitations? Is it through January you can say Happy New Year or like Epiphany, you know, January 6th? I feel like what maybe the first week. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it can't be the first time you saw someone that year because it could be into March, April. It used to like, be like when you stopped writing 2014 on your checks, but nobody writes checks anymore. No, uh, I do critical linking every morning, and I'm still having to delete <laughs> 2014 off, out of most of my – maybe that's when it's when I can finally uh, – no, with confidence, I'm writing 2015 on the post. I can stop saying Happy New Year. I said Happy New Year once to a UPS guy in April. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what was going on. I was right after Ames, my, my son was born. Uh, my, oh, well, then first. you just didn't know what I didn't know was where I was. I wasn't sure what century I was uh, in. Everything was screwed up. So, all right, let's do some follow-up. Two related things to our – two of our ongoing favorite things in the in the world of books. Um, we Need Diverse Books and Vida. Um, Vida, we talk about on the show quite a bit. They do an annual, I guess, count of um, women being included in literary publications, either as reviewers or as reviewees. Is that being reviewed? <laughs> being reviewed, reviewed yes. Um and they are now going to include in their 2015 data. Actually, is it 20? Are they going to do it for the 2015 data or is they're it? They're doing it for 2014. Oh, for 2014. But it'll be released April of 2015. Okay. So I guess either they're doing it right now or have been tracking it all year. But when their new report comes out in 2015, looking back on, a, on 2014 data, we're going to have data or what they can collect about uh, women of color as well. So that's cool. We like awesome. that. Awesome. Uh, and you pointed out to me, cause I didn't really think about it, how they are identifying women of color. They're no, they're letting themselves identify. There it they've, is. That's what it is. They've pulled all of the writers out of the journals that they counted and they're sending them blind surveys using so, the U S census designation. So people can fill them out themselves. So if they see someone's name, I guess they're going to send it to all women, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess they have to just make the first order assumption of who's a woman and who's not. Yes. Right. Maybe that should be possible. Well, they were doing that anyway. Oh, they were doing that anyway. I didn't realize that. Okay. Um, so the you will sort you'll you'll be your own sorting hat for this sort of thing. Yes. Um so that I'm looking forward to that. I'm a little afraid too. Oh yeah. I mean you know what it's gonna look like. Do I mean we do? Well why don't we say that and then we can check ourselves. Like we expect It's gonna be awful. I mean I just expect it to be awful. Do you expect it to be about the same as women in the whole? Slightly worse, considerably worse, apocalypse worse. worse. Considerably worse. Considerably worse. So like a third to his half is represented kind of deal. I don't even know what I'm saying there. Maybe less. Like I, if it's even, so women are less than half of the people represented in these journals. If out of that less than half, women of color get even like a tenth, I will be. (laughs) Well, you and I have tried to figure this out back and forth for various for various posts, um, mm-hmm. you know, what percentage of America, because that's who we are and that's what we know the most about and most of our readership is America. Sorry, rest of the world. Someday we all will be expert in everything. Um, 
But we figured figured out or or we're we're using the stat that about 36 to 37 percent of Americans do not identify themselves as white. Right. That's kind of what we're we're using. And if you assume that about half of those are women, you're looking at 17 to 18 percent. So if things are proportionally representative in liberal publication, 17 to 18 percent of the reviewers and reviewees should be women of color. And you're saying if it's half that, you will be pleasantly surprised is wrong, but it won't be as be bad as you thought. Not at all surprised. You will not at all. So, okay. I will have my, my existing pessimism confirmed. <laughs> yeah. I guess if you said to me, one in 10 are women in color that get reviewed or doing the reviewing, I know that's wrong because we look at, I, I was looking at a bunch of top 10 lists of 2014 and it was not unusual. In fact, it was typical to see in a top 10, one person of color. Yeah, one person of one color. One person of color. Yeah, not even just. Not even just. So women. there already you're looking at maybe 5% of all literary reviews are by or about a woman of color. You know, I didn't realize, I, I never looked at this. So if it's, if it's let's say it's um, Roxanne Gay reviewing Toni Morrison, that would get two points basically, right? Yes. Because it's review and review. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll gird our, our, the appropriate body part. Uh, whatever. Well, even that example is kind of is telling because they would give the book by the woman of color to the woman of color reviewer. That is super interesting. Yes. Yeah, maybe it shouldn't count. Well, I mean, whatever. We're really quibbling. <laughs> we don't but want yes. to tell them how to do their jobs, yeah, but, but it'll but be it, interesting. It'll be interesting. Uh, no, it's an impossible job, and there's no right way to do it. Except you're yeah. right that that that's sort of um, the pigeonholing there. That's not really two in a way that sort of Roxanne Gay reviewing the John and. Fr- Jonathan Franzen would be uh, that's coming out. I'd read that review all day that, long. Yeah, I think there'd be uh, there'd be blood in the fields. <laughs> uh, Do it, Roxanne. After that one, listening. maybe we should start a change.org petition for that one. Um, and then the second thing is that we need diverse books. Um, the nonprofit we've talked about before on the show that who has the continuing mission um, to champion books um, by and about. Um, it's it's and again we 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 use the term diversely, sort of in a singular way at the particular moment. It's this is about culture, racial, and ethnic when there are all kinds of diversity. Does we need diverse diverse books explicitly about people of color? I can't remember now. Do you remember? I'm not sure. I think I feel like I've seen them talk about uh, LGBTQ authors, okay. but um, yeah, maybe not as frequently. as well, they do. I mean, there's a whole disability and religion and a whole, whole yeah. bunch of different things. Like, but my my memory, and I will double check this, that it's mostly um, about people of color, books by by and about people of color. They're they're doing a story anthology, um, and they're reserving one spot for an unknown writer. And there's going to be a contest where you can submit and um, get included in that anthology. There'll be a link in the show notes there. If you were the kind of person that has a story and you're interested and want to submit, do it, man. A middle grade story. Middle grade story. I'm sorry. Uh, Excuse me. I forgot that particular part. (laughs) Not just like... (laughs) Not just whatever. Not your marriage falling apart. Yeah, (laughs) we don't really want that. Uh, There's probably a place for that somewhere in the universe, but this isn't isn't it. So um, cool follow-up about a couple of um, stories we've been following for a while. Let's do our first sponsor, Audible. Uh, Audible is the leading supplier of audiobooks with over 150,000 titles to choose from, fiction, nonfiction, bestsellers. Basically, if there's a category in the bookstore, there's a category in Audible that's got a bunch of choices. Unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you get to own your book. So even if you cancel your subscription, you can still listen to your files. Free apps for basically anything you might be carrying around that can play an MP3 file. 
they have an app that you can use. Over 500 devices are supported, tablets, phones, computers, so on and so forth. Uh, chapter navigation is really interesting and annotated bookmarks. So if you are like me, someone who is into nonfiction especially, but fiction people can use this as well, something you want to remember, you can drop a bookmark with a note and come back to it or use it for reference or something later like that. So go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot for a free 30-day trial. That includes a free audiobook of your choice. Let them know you came from us, so they'll come back and give us the money. Um, but also it gets you a taste of what it's like to do audiobooks for free 30-day trial. Thanks so much to Audible for sponsoring the show. Again, that's audiblepodcast.com slash bookriot for your free 30-day trial. I, right now... I'm listening to an audiobook. I've got my full nerd on. In my year of, of nonfiction, I'm on book number three of audiobooks in January. And this is How Star Wars Conquered the Universe, the Past, Present, and Future of a Multi-Billion Dollar Franchise by Chris Taylor. Um, it came that is out, full nerd. It came out uh, in October. Um, a fortuitous timing as the new trilogy of Star Wars movies is getting ready to come out at the end of 2015. I, like most... Um, white kids of my ilk, uh, I'm a Star Wars nerd, and uh, have the, the, the forges have been rekindled, kind of like the elven forges in Lord of the Rings, of my Star Wars nerddom. Boy, my, all my nerddoms are being You're reforged. You're man. <laughs> yeah, so I will brandish my Flame of the West uh, for this year. And uh, it's a 21-hour-long audiobook. It's super interesting. If, you're, if you love Star Wars, you're interested in movies, it's especially interesting. I'm now six hours into the book, and we've gotten through the opening one minute of the film. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, it's all Lucas's backstories, his back projects. It's the drafting. It's the history of sci-fi and movies and Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. Um, so it's really interesting. I'll give you just a couple of nuggets. Just a couple of nuggets. A couple I found especially interesting. One is one thing that we do and we hear about, and I know you and I are sensitive to it, is this, this idea of like shallow clicktivism, right? Where sure. if we squawk about something we don't like, or we think that's unfair, some people will come at us saying, well, that's not really doing anything, which we know is untrue because of things yeah. like, say, we need diverse books, for example, which is part of a large online campaign of Groundswell. But one thing I thought was interesting, so George Lucas's second feature-length movie was American Graffiti. It was the one he did right before Star Wars. And there were female characters in that movie. Um, at the end of the movie, there were – it's kind of become commonplace now, but it was apparently he was the first one to do that thing where you find sort of what happened to the characters in the future. Like you get a picture of them with like a little paragraph oh, underneath, yeah, uh -huh. remember? Um, and he didn't include any of the female characters in that yeah. part. It was just all the dudes. And he took heat for it, and that led him to make Princess Leia a main character in Star Wars, which oh. the idol of many sci-fi geek girls all over the world. So it mattered, right? Like people making a yeah. squawk matter. I thought that was um, really fascinating too. And, and Lucas himself, a huge science fiction nerd, it turns out, read everything. Unsurprising. He could get, and he could get his hands on while working on Star Wars. So that's how Star Wars Conquered the Universe by Chris Taylor. You said you were listening to one. I am. I'm you listening to, one. I just finished it yesterday, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo, The Japanese Art of Decluttering and Organizing. Have you heard about this book? I've heard about the spirit of this book. Does that mean? <laughs> yeah, well, it's been everywhere. It's yeah. gotten so much buzz. It is out of stock on Amazon right now. That so go listen to it on Audible if you want to. But it is nutso bananas everywhere. And I, it is, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. I will put it that mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. what, what's fascinating about it in a good and bad way? 
Okay, I'll say that. All right. Yeah, well, yeah. it's got a lot of great tips about um, if, if like if an object in your house doesn't make you feel good about it automatically, then you should get rid of it. And she's very like Wait, dogmatic. Feel, feel good about it. Yes, it's a lot about your feelings. If something doesn't give you joy, she talks. She anthropomorphizes her objects and therefore oh. asks you to anthropomorphize your objects in a way that makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> so, like, like my tape dispenser. If it does not give you joy. But joy, that seems like a joy. high bar. It is very high. Because, like, I like—I mean, so tape is super useful, but joy bringing tape dispenser, I find that hard. Not to so much. She would she say I should get rid of the tape interested. dispenser. She huh? would say I should get rid of it. Yes. She's not at all interested in utility. Okay. Right. Which makes me like, I'm not going to do anything this book says, <laughs> but it's interesting. Uh, like when she, when you come home, she recommends that you greet your house. And when you take off your coat, she recommends that you thank your coat for its hard work and stuff like emptying out your purse of everything every single time you come home to give your purse a rest. What? Yeah. There's a lot of. Wait, why? Stuff. What's the, why, why do it? Well, she's trying. I was looking for a reason that made sense. And she does mention that maybe that will help your bags and your clothes uh, hold up their shape. Like if you if you express gratitude toward them, you'll be more inclined to treat them well. Oh, okay. I suppose. But instead of just saying, "Hey, treat your stuff well," she wants you to talk to it. Hmm. No, she also recommends like not having a dish rack because it doesn't look nice, and instead drying your dishes on your porch. Okay. Well, that doesn't sound like it's for me, but no. Um, <laughs> but if you are, I'm a I'm an organizing geek, and mm. so since there's so much buzz around this, I had to listen to it, and it is like I could not stop listening to it because it's so odd. I think it but, is. Uh, there is an interesting, and I don't know what the fascination is, and I only know this as sort of American middle class to upper middle class fascination with like minimalism, decluttering, feng shui, and like that it has to come from the east. Yeah, like this sort of. Like that they've got it figured out and we've got too much stuff and we have to look to them for these sort of, I don't know, pseudo spiritual ideas about how to, to, to clean up our desk. I mean, I, I don't not think it's right or wrong, but that does seem like a through line uh, for a while. It definitely feels like a cultural fetish. Yeah, right. Fetish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's interesting. And it was on audio. Huh. Yeah. How long was it? Do you remember? Only like four hours. Oh, okay. Well, I can, I'd imagine if it's about decluttering, then you wouldn't make a super long audiobook. Yeah, it feels a lot longer. <laughs> so you get, it gets it's bad food in such small portions. Um, mm -hmm. as, okay, let's get on to the news of the week. Okay. Uh, the big, you know, and this is one of those lists that doesn't really matter, except that it's interesting to talk about. Um, the BBC America. Uh, had a list. <laughs> what? <laughs> BBC America. That's I didn't the realize site. It was yeah. BBC, um, they pulled um, about, you know, let's say a good 10, 12 critics um, and asked them for the best novels of the 21st century. So this is um, Lev Grossman at Time, um, Paro Segal at the New York Times Book Review, Newsday editor Tom Beer, Jessica Crispin, C. Max McGee of the Millions. Booklist Donna Seaman, Kirkus Reviews, Lurie Muchnick, and more. Um, best novel, novels published in English since January 1, 2000. The critics named 156 novels in all, and based on these votes, here are the top 12. 
These are um, best books of the century. Yes, of so, this century, the century we're currently in, where that yeah, we're that we are fifteen years change. into. Yeah. I guess yeah, fifteen and change because zero counts. Um, interestingly, uh, so here are the twelve. This is, and I did. They didn't really tell you how many votes each thing got or points, but this apparently is in reverse order from the from number twelve to one. So number twelve, um, Jeffrey Eugenides, Middlesex. 2002. Zadie Smith's White Teeth, number 11, that's 2000. Um, Adiche's uh, 2006, Half a Yellow Sun. Um, Ian McEwen's Atonement, 2001. Ben Fountain's Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, 2012. It's number eight. Jennifer Egan's A Visit from the Goon Squad, 2010. Boy, that was only four years ago and changed out. Feels like forever ago. Um, number six, uh, Michael Shaban's The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, 2000. Uh, number five, Jonathan Franzen's The Corrections, 2001. Number four, Marilyn Robinson's Gilead, 2004. Number three, Hilary Mantel. Is that right? Do you know? Mantel? I think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wolf Hall, 2009. Um, Edward P. Jones' The Known World, 2003. God, that's a great book. And uh, number one, um, Juno Diaz's A Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wow. 2007. Nice. Pretty good list. Number one, The Brief Wonders Live of Vasco. I, I, a remarkable quibble-free zone, I have to say, for me. Yeah, I, I was so surprised. Um, an interesting, uh, pretty good gender breakdown, about half. Um, we've got some people of color. Um, they are all native English speakers, which... I guess is not a surprise for English. Yeah. You know, there's not something in translation. I guess the what I wonder what the Murakami, you know, what was published in the this century from Murakami. Eighteen eighty four. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, I know it was definitely, but I'm saying like, what was the best one? I don't know if hmm. any of his other. Kafka books. on the Shore is two thousand two. I might squeeze out atonement and put on Kafka on the shore if it was up to me. But um but that's a very minor quibble as these things go. I would squeeze out atonement and put in pretty much anything else. Yeah, I don't love atonement. I don't love atonement myself either. Um but I love Americana, I love Gilead, I love Wolf Hall, I love the known world, I love Middlesex. I mean all of these the corrections. Mm-mm. I DNF'd. Oh really? Yeah. When did you read that? Do you remember? Did it um, right when it came out or was it long after? Oh, no, no. It was like a year and a half ago. Oh, okay. okay. I gave it a go. It was a very much a book of its moment, you know, 2001. I remember, you know, I bought it in hardback because there was a big stink about it. And um, I was my first year in grad school and, you know, completely insufferable um, <laughs> and read it. And I remember liking it, but really not being blown away by it. Like of the ones on it, like White Teeth and... Uh, uh, Middlesex, all of them I thought were, these are all so, I don't know, memorable books to me, mm-hmm. that that's the one that's sort of the least memorable. So I wouldn't mind squeezing it off either. Um, did you read Wolf Hall? Yes. Yeah, that's an amazing book too. I really um, like that they included Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. Yeah, that's the most recent. That's what otherwise I was going to say is there's a pretty big gap. There's two from 2010 or after. Um, Jennifer Egan's Goon Squad is 2010. And then um, uh, Billy Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk was 2012. Um, so I was hard to think of things in the last couple of years. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, the Goldfinch were to squeeze the corrections off in a year or two or um, anything like that. We don't have a Morrison on the list, which uh-huh. I, you know, just noticed. And I don't think I would 
Paradise, which was the last for me, and I haven't read the new one that came out in, that's coming out in April, but Paradise was 98. So it didn't quite make the cut, but I would put it, I mean, if you extended the list two years back, it could take whatever place you wanted for me off this. Um, but yeah, I, an interesting list. There's no, these, I don't, they didn't say anything about like, um, that they had to be adult fiction. There's no like oh, YA yeah. or anything on here. I don't know if they told them to, uh, to put them on there, but anyway, that's one I thought as well would be, you know. I can't think of I can't think of any YA that I would. <sighs> Not really. Bump I'm, one of these books for. Perks of being a wallflower. I don't know. Maybe I could put over the corrections just because it's kind of in a lot of ways it's about some similar things of family and. <laughs> but you know, in a way, it's it's different. But it's, it's in it's a, a way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it's kind of a similar feel. Um, you know, social realism about white people. Um, what about Harry Potter? Which one? Any of the ones that came out? I, any of them. I guess because the first three all came out before 2000, maybe? Or the first two, at least? Anyway, Deathly Hallows was 2007 now, I guess. The last one, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, maybe. I'm open to it. Would you do it? I would. I'd get rid of mm. the corrections and put Harry Potter in there. Yeah. How are they defining great? Yeah, there we go. I wonder. <laughs> and I'm, there it is. <laughs> I mean, it's the kind of books that people who are book critics for major literary publications call great, right? I mean, that's that's really when they say great. It's like you fill in the adjective with the identity of the people making the list, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, according to Garp. Um, but that's who it would be now. I mean, I was looking at um, like, um, you know, Book Riot's 50 favorite books and like The Book Thief is on there. And I DNF that too. I, I didn't love that book, but I can see why people did. But that one, just according to our readers, would be on the top. You know, it it would it would be on this list for sure. Um I don't know. I, you know, again, like it's not one of those things to put too much credence behind, but it's kind of fun to talk about. Um yeah, let's see. Our fifty favorite includes, you know, the first couple are, you know, like Pride and Prejudice and what have you, but um let's see. Harry Potter series, so all, it kind of got spread out. But really, the Book Thief is number nine on the Book Riot readers' hundred fa- uh, fifty favorite books, um, ahead of all of the ones listed. Secret History was that after two thousand? That was number twelve on our yeah on it, our list. Yeah, it was because then she wrote Little Friend, and then she yeah. took like ten years off and wrote Goldman. The Time Traveler's Wife is number twenty seven on the Book Riot readers' poll. Uh, um, which is ahead of all of these books, like American Gods by by Gaiman. So this is really the 21st century's 12 criticiest novels. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. When was when did the Handmaid? That was in the 80s, right? The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Style. Yeah. The 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 top ranking book of the ones on this on the um, BBC list that appeared on the Book Riot readers' 50 favorite novels of all time is The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Coming in at, I'm sorry. Uh, Middlesex by Eugenides is 44, and Cavalier Clay is 45, and then Gilead, 47, and then the Poisonwood Bible. No, that was in the 80s from King Solver, but the Night Circus, 49 by Aaron Morgenstern. So it's a different, there's some overlap, but there's quite a few, there's quite a bit of differences if you pulled, if you sort of compare it to our, what our readers would pick as well. Did you see the runners up, the list of the runners up? No, again? I didn't. I, Americana, yeah, Americana, mm. Austerlitz. 
My Brilliant Friend, the Elena Ferrante, The oh. Line of Beauty, McCarthy's The Road. The Line of Beauty, is that Alan Hollinghurst? Yes. Yeah, I DNF that. <laughs> um, McCarthy's The Road, Zadie oh, Smith McCarthy. again. McCarthy. McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd put The Road. That could that would knock a couple of people out. That would definitely knock the Franzen off. Yeah, that would go, that would knock Atonement off uh, for me. I think it would knock off... Ooh, now it's getting tricky. <laughs> uh, Maybe hmm. Middlesex. Yeah, Middlesex, I think. And Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. It would knock off that for me. Oh, no, not for me. No, no. But like the top eight, the top eight on this list are hard for me to come up with one <laughs> that I would knock off. Like for me, I would rank, you know, put them in a pile. You could give, you know, I would take the Gilead. I'd take Gilead, the known world. Oscar Wow, Wolf Hall. I think I would pick Americana over Half a Yellow Sun for me. But you switch out. I haven't out. read any of her books. Oh, that's really? That's my, my horrible confession. No, it's not a horrible confession. I'm <laughs> so jealous that you've got those to look forward to. I'd be super interested to think what you, what you think about those. I'm thinking of a project where I just started at the yeah. beginning. Is there, can I, is there any reason you've not read yet or just well, because there's a her. sea of books? Well, I hadn't heard of her until Americana, and right. then that was so buzzy that I just could not deal with it. So I oh, skipped it, hmm. and I'm waiting until it goes so away. So you you're one of those people that there's sort of a buzz threshold that yes. after which a line if there's a, a line that gets crossed, you're like nope, nope, nope. If I don't read it before all of that happens, I'm not going to. For that a- actually happened to me with Half a Yellow Sun because like it was in Starbucks, like oh. it was their hardcovers oh. in Starbucks. And it came out in 2006 while I was still in grad school and still insufferable. And that was like, you know, I went full friends and like, ah, Oprah, blah, Starbucks, blah, not for me because I'm an <laughs> idiot. Um, and then read it later uh, and thought it was great. Um, but I think I like Americana a little bit better. Anyway, it doesn't it doesn't matter. But um, the road, what, I'm sorry, I interrupted the runners up. What were the other runners oh, up? Oh, the three more, Zadie Smith uh, with NW, mm. Roberto Bolaño with 2666, and Shirley Hazard, The Great Fire. I've not heard of The Great Fire. Um, that's really interesting. Uh, I read that a few years ago. It's about a great fire. Um, right. the Chicago yeah. fire. It's, it's oh, historical, okay. non, it's historical fiction. Um, two, six, six, six. Boy, I love that book. And man, is it great. But it's like, it's like the infinite jest of South America. Um, it's, it's, it's a tough one to swallow. Is there, there's no genre no, that's uh, yeah. That's uh, kind of what I was getting. At. I was going to go down that road with YA. Yeah. There's no science fiction. Um, well, a visit from the Goon Squad. Would you consider that kind of parts of it are mostly not? I would say. Dystopian. I mean, yeah. at the end, it gets towards you know. There's some stuff about smartphones, and there's that short story that's all in um, PowerPoint, PowerPoint slides. Um, yeah. No so. genre. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I, I screwed up. It. The Great Fire is not about the Chicago Fire. I'm thinking of something different. Um, okay. This is about the aftermath of World War II stuff. And the Great Fire being referred to as World War II. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I'm not sure what else in the genre world. I mean, Gone Girl, I guess, is the biggest mystery thriller thing we've seen phenomenon. I don't, I don't know that I would put it up here. If someone wanted to put it on here, I wouldn't fight them. But myself, I wouldn't put it up there. I'm trying to think. What about this. Um, like Outlander? Is that recent? I don't. Know. I, I think I it's been old. Read it's, any of the well, I haven't read Outlander either. I think the first book is older than that, oh, okay. um, for sure. 
Um, trying to think on the sci-fi tip, what we might be missing. Can't really think. Like, there's been some big hits. Like, you know, people have been talking about Ready Player One and things like that. Martian. But I don't, I don't know that. Yeah, The Martian. That I don't know that that makes this list. Of, certainly for these critics, and I don't know that it would make it for me um, either. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good list. Um, pretty non-controversial, which I don't know if that's good or bad, actually. Yeah. If you have some science fiction novels that came out since 2000, yeah, I would love to know here, that. Please that let would, me know because I will read it. Yeah, I would too. I would very much as well um, to see what goes on there. Yeah, it's All a right. good list. Yeah, if you want to read, I mean, if you're looking for, if you're not someone that's picked up contemporary literature recently, um, if you're, you know, a genre reader, or you just read classics or whatever, for whatever reason, this is a dang fine list to start. And I think I could speak, I could speak for me at least. And I, Amanda, I think I know you a little bit well enough that if you did Gilead and uh, let's see, what else from here? What are your top three out of these? Oh, I closed it. Oh, uh, oh probably. Sorry. I'm trying to think about it from memory now. Gilead, Billy Lynn, or Billy mm. Flynn. <laughs> if I can remember the titles. Well, we've got Wolf Hall. We've got um, I would say Sun. the Juno Diaz. Oh, yes. Billy right. Lynn's Long Halftime Walk and Gilead. Yeah, I'll just flip out the known world for Billy, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, and we're kind of the same. So um, there we go. All right, let's do stats. Okay. Stats. Where do you want to go? Which, which of these do you want to do? Overdrive. Overdrive. Okay. Overdrive released uh, year-end usage statistics, um, ebooks and audiobooks. And Overdrive is mostly the the software provider for digital lending for libraries. Um, and it there are big big increases all across the board. Any of these stats jump out to you immediately? The first, the digital audiobook circulation is up thirty eight percent year over year. year Thirty two million checkouts. That is nuts. Which, especially considering that ebook circulation was up thirty two percent year over year, um, so it grew faster. But also the percentage. So there was one hundred and five million ebooks checked out through OverDrive. And is this just all North America or America? I don't even know. They don't say. I think it it's just say. America. Um, so. There's 105 million ebooks and 32 million digital audiobooks. So it's just about 30% the total, which is a huge number. Yes. In terms of um, format share, I guess, to coin a phrase, I'm sure someone else has used. Um, streaming video circulation is up 46%. They don't give us a number. And as I said last week with Rebecca, anytime someone gives us a number, I assume it's small because it means you're not proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Any, anything else that you're especially interested in here? Tablets and smartphones now account for 52% of all digital media checkouts. I'm still surprised that desktop is 36%. It's down from 48% in 2013, but still a third. Yeah. It's going to keep going. I just down. hate reading on my desktop long form, so I, that's just personal bias there for yeah. two. It's doubled. Tablets and smartphones have doubled year over year and are more than half of all checkouts. Um, the top, okay, this is interesting to me. The top two ebooks were Gone Girl and The Goldfinch. Why the is top, that interesting? I mean, because yes. the top two audiobooks are Gone Girl and The Goldfinch. Just destroying everyone. Yeah. Just destruction. The fifth most popular audiobook checked out from libraries is Fifty Shades of Grey, which I cannot imagine listening to on audiobook. Like, can you yeah. imagine walking through the grocery store listening to Fifty Shades of Grey and, like, you go to pick up a roast beef or something and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
No, I cannot, Amanda. No, I cannot. <laughs> like your neighbor is standing next to you. Yeah. It's in, it is interesting too, and we know this. Well, Rebecca and I talked about top selling books of 2014 last week. It's backlist, dominated by backlist. Yeah. Um, none of the books in the top ebooks, except I guess Sycamore Row, the Grisham was 20, a 2014 title. Um, but everything else, no, I'm sorry, The Invention of Wings is so the top five ebooks checked out from libraries one, Gone Girl, two, Goldfinch, three, The Husband's Secret, um, four, Sycamore Row, five, Invention of Wings. So I'm sorry. I'm completely wrong. Three <laughs> of the top five are actually frontlist titles, things that were new in 2014. The audiobooks, um, the only new one is Sycamore Row, the Grisham. It's number four. The top five audiobooks, Gone Girl, Goldfinch, Game of Thrones, Sycamore Row, and Fifty Shades of Grey. It's interesting that it's interesting that Game of Thrones is in the audiobook category, but not in the ebook category for top five. I, I just find well, that interesting. Only, well, hmm. I was going to say you only get two weeks, right, with a digital, with an ebook checkout. Oh, you do? I don't know what you get for audio. Do you get more or less? I think it's also only two weeks, which mm. is why I interrupted myself. But if you really sat down and focused, like if you're going on a road trip, you could probably get through Game of Thrones on audio. But if you're, yeah. you're not going to get through Game of Thrones on an ebook, especially if you're reading on your tiny little phone screen, that's going to take you a hot minute. Yeah, it's going to take you a little while. That's for sure. Um, interestingly, also, if you have in the back of your mind from last week's show that the top selling books... In all categories uh, last year, if you throw them all together, were a whole bunch of YA. Veronica Roth and John Green had like seven of the top 12 spots. And you notice we haven't mentioned a YA title yet. So yeah. it tells you a little something about the, the demographics of library users, or not even the demographics, just their taste, for example. The top, the top checked out children's YA fiction ebook was The Fault in Our Stars. Um, let's see, adult nonfiction ebook was Unbroken. Um, the children YA nonfiction book is Heaven, Heaven is for Real for Kids. <laughs> Not anymore. The adult nonfiction audiobook was Unbroken, and the children young adult fiction audiobook was Mockingjay. I wonder if The Fault in Our Stars maybe wasn't available as an audiobook. That's also a possibility. We don't know I've what was available it, yeah. to all titles um, as well. It could be that they weren't all available as audiobooks. A lot of these have adaptations out or coming out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Certainly. I, I guess The Goldfinch is in pre-production as a movie, and I'm sure it'll get another bump when that comes out. Um, and Fifty Shades of Grey. I can't imagine that there's anyone interested in Fifty Shades of Grey that hasn't checked it out, but I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are as well. Oh, but I'm sure once the movie comes out. Yeah. So the, the, the top line story here is that just huge gains in digital usage of libraries, like faster than anything growing on the sort of publishing wide side. Because I think the biggest number we had from last week's show was, or no, it was a couple weeks ago, category sales. Um, children's and Young Adult was up 21% year over year, 2014, 2013. And it wouldn't even make the top five fastest growing stats from the digital library checkout. So this train is just getting rolling. Um, Makes me very happy. Very, very interesting to see. And you're a heavy library user, right? Do you do I digital and audio checkouts from your library? I do. Yeah, and Overdrive, which we have to say we don't love Overdrive. No, I hate Overdrive. It's horrible. <laughs> it's very difficult. It's, and, it's inelegant and not at all user-friendly, and these numbers would go up so much more if they would fix it. I wonder about that because I, I did try to use Overdrive to check out libraries from the Brooklyn Public Library, but found it so infuriating that I just went paid digital 
ebook subscription. I went with Oyster uh-huh. for 10 bucks a month and just dealt with it that way. Um, so yeah, I wonder how much they're being gated by having a crappy user experience. I don't know. Probably a lot. Probably yeah. a lot. Because I, I also use Oyster um, and, and my library, but mm. I don't know that I even would bother with Oyster if if I weren't such a yeah, just imagine if your library reading ebook and audio reading experience was as elegant as Oyster. Yeah, then I wouldn't need Oyster at all. I wonder if they uh, Oyster and Scribd consider libraries competition. I wonder if they think about that. They should if they don't. Hmm. I just wonder if they have it in their mind as like you do know, normal bookstores consider libraries competition? I don't know the answer to that. You worked in, you worked in a bookstore. I haven't. Did you ever think? Darn these libraries, they're taking all our readers. No, we're so distracted by Amazon that... Yeah, it is interesting. I've thought about this before, like libraries. uh, I mean, isn't it better for me to buy a book from Amazon than it is to check out a book from the library for publishing industry's sake, right? Because I'm pumping much Uh more money into the publishing industry just even buying a cheap hardcover from Amazon. It might be answer. better for publishing, but it might it's not necessarily better for the author. It isn't? Well, I mean, like, big picture-wise, because somebody who reads a book from the library is very likely to just still go out and buy it. Oh, right. And I guess I'm talking like about me, books. which I don't do that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If I read, if I read from the library... You're a robot, library, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm a cyborg. Um, yeah, okay. I see what you're saying, because... There are people that a lot of people do more than I certainly thought as, again, confirmation bias, go out and buy the book after reading it or checking it out from the library. Those stats are very interesting. Okay, let's do a little more stats and we'll get on to some things that aren't stats. Um, uh, kids in reading, a huge scholastic study, one which we cannot possibly uh, encompass at all. Um, <laughs> But there are some interesting, some interesting key findings. They did a summary with a link to the show notes with a whole bunch of other stats and pie charts and infographics and the full data set, which, by the way, good for Scholastic yeah. for making their full data sets available. Um, I'll pick out one or two. Um, let's see. I like the first one. Yeah, the first one. Uh, take that while I look. I have another one I'm interested in. So take the. Tell so us the representative the sample was about 2,500 parents and children, and of those surveyed, half of children between the ages of six and 17. So 51 percent of those kids between six and 17 are right now reading a book for fun, mm-hmm. and 20 percent, one in five of those kids, just finished reading a book for fun. And so I think, I don't know, that's very comforting to me. Like, yeah. the kids are all right. Half of them are reading for fun. <laughs> Shinsky and I did, we looked at um, a, reading stat, a reading study, I think it was an NEA one a while ago, a reading habits on breakdown. And this age group reads a lot for fun. And then there's a real cratering in the teenage years. And yeah. then it kind of picks back up in high school, college, and thereafter. And my own experience of being a teenager is similar. I was still a reader in teenage, in my, during my teenager, but much less so than I was before. Um, I thought they had some good stats about reading aloud, which I hadn't really seen anywhere else before. We all have this sort of general sense that reading, well, maybe some people have specific statistics and studies they know about, but that reading aloud is good for kids. Uh Um, And one that I thought was interesting here, when it comes to being read aloud to at home, more than eight in 10 children across age groups, all age groups, so basically this goes all the way up to 17, um, say they loved or liked it a lot. 83% Eighty-three percent liked or loved being read to. 
And the main reason being it was special time with parents. So I'm not going to cry, though. I'm, I I'm recognize, right in the feels. Right in the feels. I recognize that most humans would register an emotion right here. <laughs> um, but 83% of kids across the, these age groups say they loved or really liked a lot being read to. Um, so remember that. I think that's just a good one to keep in back of the mind. Not only do we think of it as good for them, but they really enjoy it. And they like the mo- the thing they like most about it is the time they get with their parents. And I, I, just to bring up the other show, The Reading Lives, that's one thing consistently I've heard. I think in almost every episode, someone has mentioned being read aloud to as being a, as being a remarkable, fond memory. Mm-hmm. And it's usually The Hobbit that they yeah. talk about. It really yeah. is. It's, it's fascinating. Um, what else do you want to go to about this? More than half of children ages zero to five are read aloud to at home five to seven days a week, and then it declines as the kids get older, which makes obvious sense. But but if you couple that with the idea that eight in ten kids of any age say that they like being read aloud to, maybe it's a thing we should all stick with a little bit more. I really am going to keep that in mind myself, I have to say, because even even when they can read on their own, that it's fun to read together. Yeah. Yeah. and, you know, as you get older, you can even read more interesting things um, that the adult might be interested. That's one thing I have to admit at this point. My oldest son is four, and then my daughter, well, they're just going to turn four and two in, in a couple uh, months, is I like reading to them, but boy, am I bored to tears by reading the same book over. I'm I'm so excited to read The Hobbit. I can yes. barely stand it. Oh, my gosh. I have this <laughs> dream in my mind of, like, when I finally get to sit down with my kid, my twins are almost four, and read them Harry Potter. Oh. And not wait. Oh, I'm looking. And there's so many books, and it's just going on for years. <laughs> uh, um, fun. 91%. If I never of, read oh. another Thomas the Train uh, or Olivia book again, uh, I will be fine. Uh, yeah, I right there with you. Ninety-one percent of children aged six to seventeen say my favorite books are the ones I have picked out myself, which I guess makes sense. I just yeah. that's so <laughs> it's so high. You will uh, like what I pick, and you will like it good. Yeah, yeah. So I guess there's something out to be said for giving them some um, freedom. Now that could be because they pick awesome books for themselves, or that they just like the autonomy and that sort of trickles down into their experience of liking the book. Um, six, 70, 70% of kids age six to 17 say they want books that make me laugh. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Much makes sense to me. I like this one. 43% of them of 43% of kids from six to 17 like books that have characters. I wish I could be like, because they're smart, strong or brave. That's interesting. Wow, that is interesting. Um, a very interesting. Six in ten parents with children zero to five have received advice that children should be read aloud to from birth. However, just under half of parents in the lowest incomes households, 47% receive this advice, versus 74% in the highest income households. Uh, So in low-income households, they are hearing that it's good to read aloud to kids, but at a significant lower rate, um, 27% less frequently than highest income households. I think that's really interesting. That's awful. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> not good. Uh, let's say... Oh, the last one. Nearly two-thirds of children, 65%, up 5% from 2012, agree that they'll always want to read print books even so when e-books are available. So interesting. Yeah, you say that now, seven-year-old. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it is interesting that's increased year over year. Yeah. Like, flat is one thing, but... Uh, Anyway, um, there, there, this is my last 
the thing that I find interesting, oh, there's a lot of, but in the top tier of things I find interesting here, there are several predictors that ages, ch children ages six to 17 will be frequent readers. The three dynamics among the most powerful predictors are being more likely to rate themselves as really enjoying reading. Okay. So they like it. They like reading. <laughs> a strong belief that reading is fun, that reading for fun is important. Now that I think is interesting. Mm -hmm. Not just that they like reading, but they're told that reading for fun itself is important, not just reading for schoolwork or whatever. And having parents who are frequent readers. Those are the three strongest. And I'm guessing parents who are frequent readers inf influences the other two categories, right? Yeah. That they're told that reading for fun is important and that they see, you know, their parents reading for pleasure as well. So my takeaways as a, as a parent here are read a lot, check, say that reading for fun is important, haven't got there quite yet. I haven't said, to be honest, it feels like they're too young, but maybe that's wrong. <sighs> and three, read to them aloud until they, even through and past the stages where they could read pretty much whatever they want on their own. I think that's interesting. You know, I saw a study, well, it was in Real Simple Magazine, so who knows? I did not methodology <laughs> corner this study. Are you saying but, that a magazine called Real Simple may not have the most <laughs> rigor rigorous um, methodological standards? Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that it was a ridiculous number, like 60% or something of kids that they surveyed said that they feel like their parents spend too much time on their phone, and mm. so they feel like they're being ignored. But if their parent, I read on my phone. That's interesting. And so if reading, if, if seeing your parents read is important, but seeing your parents on their phone makes you feel bad. Hmm. Like where does I guess you just the, don't like, know. They assume yeah. you're on Twitter or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh. Um, good study. Again, a lot of stuff in the show notes if you're interested in this sort of thing. Um, I'll, I'll drop a link there. A link to the key findings document, but there's a link to there for the full data set and a whole bunch of different um, other cross sections of the reading. Okay, let's do one more before we get to new books. Um, Actually, we're 45 minutes in. We better get to new books. We're running out of time here. Yeah, yeah. Um, not, not a bumper crop of books this week, but two I want to mention in particular. Eric Smith, um, who is a friend of the site, a book riot contributor, uh, all-around cool guy, has a new book out this week. It's, a, it's YA, right? I, didn't, I, didn't, yes. I think it is YA. Ebook only, but it's called Inked. Um, and it's from Bloomsbury, I believe. Yes, Bloomsbury Spark imprint. And basically the story is it's a it doesn't really say that it's dystopian, but from the description you can kind of you kind of get the sense that it is. But um, basically once you come of age, you're you know eighteen or so, you get a tattoo. And that too it's magical and it's magical ink. And once it settles into your skin, it basically proscribes your lot in life. Right, that you know, you're, this is your role in society, and this is what you're going to do, and this is what your fate is going to be. It's a needle-based sorting hat. Needle-based sorting hat. That's very good. <laughs> very good. Well, does the sorting hat determine what you're going to be, or just which house? I mean, I don't know. Well, I think the house can kind of determine what. You're yeah, gonna be, yeah. It feels to me like this is much more prescriptive. The tattoo you get here, like yes. it's very much like this is what your future is going to be. Kind of like the giver, your role in society, along that. Um, and the main character, uh, I, I don't know how to say the name. I'm so sorry. It's C-A-E-N-U-M. So Sanum, Canum, I don't know how to say it. Um, Sanum, I'm going to say, doesn't want to do it. He, he buckles against, he, he bristles against this and gets ready to run away from the family. Um, and as you can imagine, he upsets the moral order and sets in motion a whole chain of events that's going to change the world. So that's, that's uh, Inks from Eric Smith. It's available now. Is an ebook. Check that out. 
Um, the, I, again, I, I mentioned before, I'm on a, a nonfiction kick. And I'm not going to go too much out of my way to only read nonfiction, but that's where my tastes are leaning these days. Uh, and the one I'm interested in that's out this week is called The Secret History of Creation, Innovation, and Discovery by Kevin Ashton. That's the, sub, that's the subtitle. Oh, I'm sorry. What's the main title? How to Fly a Horse. Oh, How to Fly a Horse. I see. I don't like this. <laughs> I, I wish it was just called The Secret History of Creation. I understand how How to Fly a Horse is a good title, but The Secret History of Creation, Innovation, and Discovery. Um, but basically, um, Kevin Ashton was uh, worked at MIT and saw he led three successful startups, but then sort of got interested in the idea of how new ideas come about. And so he started to look, he wanted to do a, sort of a history of great, great inventions and, you know, looks on the cover is a horseshoe, which when you think about it, sort of a super weird thing to do, right, is to nail a piece of metal to like a horse's foot, right? <laughs> yeah. But it made it so that it can go on roads and that it wouldn't get split hooves and infections. And basically you could have them carry more for longer periods of time um, over new surfaces. And it changed the way that things could be distributed and, you know, basically putting iron tires on a horse. So I'm interested in this. Um, it's, it doesn't sound like it's super academic, but, you know, kind of a, a pop culture history of invention and innovation. So I will definitely be listening to this in audiobook in my year of nonfiction audiobooks in 2015. Um, what have you read recently that's good? Oh, um, I just finished Daniel Jose Older's Salsa Nocturna. Oh, how did you like it? It's so great. It is so weird. <laughs> it, it is weird, isn't it? Like it's, yes. it's, it's, he just, well, I, I don't know if he described it, but it's noir ghost stories. Yes. Is the description. Yeah. So it takes place in Brooklyn and it follows a kind of quirky cast of characters. The main one being this guy who is half dead. He died mm. some horrific death and then got halfway resurrected. So he's, he can see dead people and he like interacts with ghosts and demons and spirits and all that stuff. But he's also mostly alive, so he can still operate in the real world. And it's like him and his shenanigans <laughs> dealing with, uh, he works for a the Council of the Dead, which is uh, like a, not a detective agency, but like a problem-solving bureaucracy for right. dead folk. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's monsters and it's really, the characters are super diverse and, oh, it's so good and strange. And his new book came out. Two weeks ago, the novel Half Resurrection Blues, which I think yes. one of the characters in Salsa Nocturna is the main character of the new book. Maybe I have that mystery. Yeah, the half dead guy. The is half dead the, guy, yeah. Is the main character. And I just heard that um, the yes. series with this character uh, is called The Bone Street Rumba, mm -hmm. I think. And that just got optioned for TV yes. or movies. We don't know yet, but. Optioned, it's difficult because option means I reserve the right to maybe make something out of this within a given time Someday. period. So it may yeah. not, it may not actually happen, but it has to be optioned before anything else happened. Yeah. Um, but good for Daniel, who's a really great and interesting guy. I will watch that show yeah. all day long. Are you going to read Half Resurrection Blues, do you think? I am. I just got it. Yeah. So I'm going to cool. read it this week. Awesome. All right. Well, Amanda, thanks for being on the show. It went fast again. It yeah, always feels always fast, does. doesn't it? <laughs> um, as always, you can find show notes at bookwriter.com slash podcast. If you want to email us with a sci-fi a great sci-fi book of this century, you know, from zero to 14, 
Um, both Amanda and I would be super interested in that. Um, you can email us at podcast.bookwrite.com. You can find Amanda on Twitter at I'm Amanda Nelson, just like it sounds, no apostrophe though, unfortunately, because you can't do punctuation on Twitter. In Twitter handles, you can find me at the Jeff O'Neill. Uh, you can find Bookwrite at bookwrite.com. And we will, oh, thanks so much to Audible for sponsoring the show. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookwrite and you can get a free 30-day trial and include one audiobook of your choice for free. Try it out. All right, Amanda, talk to you later. Bye.